On this edition of the Table of Content, we are joined by retired Air Force officer Anthony Barone Kolink. We're going to ask him how he went from Air Force to Catholic fiction writer. Stay tuned. That's coming up next right here on the Table of Content. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Table of Content. I am your host, Albert Sines, and we have the pleasure of being joined by Anthony Barone Kolink. Tony, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We are so glad to have you on board. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Uh, But before we get into it, I want to give the listeners an opportunity to learn a little bit more about who you are. Uh, And as I nodded to in the introduction, you are a retired Air Force officer. So from that point, I was hoping you could give our listeners a little more information. Sure. Uh, I actually grew up in New Jersey and uh, was in the Air Force for 21 years. Uh, Prior enlisted, uh, did a little bit of time as a firefighter and then military intelligence officer before the Air Force actually sent me to law school, which was very nice, uh, in Florida. And I spent the last 14 years of my career as a uh, a JAG officer, as an attorney in the Air Force, and uh, got to travel all around the United States and see different parts of the world uh, with my, uh, my wife, Elisa, and our five children. And then we eventually settled in Jacksonville, Florida, after I retired in 2012 and began teaching at law school. Okay, well, that's a good synopsis of your sort of major profession that has taken up a good chunk of your life. But uh, let's get to the really fun question. How do you go from being a retired Air Force officer who specialized in law, is teaching law school, and yet now you are writing Catholic fiction. How did that happen? Well, you know, I've always wanted to be an author. And of course, as as you go through your life and you grow in your faith, you you know try to find ways to use the gifts that God gave you to and somehow further God's kingdom. And I, I guess that's kind of what happened with me. You know, I've, I've written throughout my whole life and uh, tried to write fiction a lot, uh, even as a kid, and none of it was any good. And even uh, throughout most of my adult life, whenever I, I tried to write something fiction, I usually stopped and gave up after a while. But uh, but finally, uh, with this with this latest effort, uh, which I did begin actually uh, probably about maybe five years before I retired, um, I finally was able to um, succeed at, at completing a novel uh that definitely, uh, you know, d- does appeal to Christian uh, Catholic readers, uh, but also can appeal to a broader mainstream audi- audience. Okay. Well, I want to get into that series, obviously, but I'm curious. You said um, you started trying to write this series five years before you retired. So what's the math? What's the timeline on this? How long have you been trying to bring this story to life? You know, uh I got the idea for the story. We were a a homeschooling family. Now my kids are grown up at this point. But my son, when I started this, was 12 years old. And uh, we were homeschooling. And there wasn't uh, a lot of great Catholic fiction that we'd seen out there. And Harry Potter was, you know, all over the place. And kids were loving all that. And uh, we were traveling from, uh, actually from uh, law school in Florida to Colorado (laughs) 
and just started talking with my son, you know, like, hey, if we were going to see like a good, interesting, you know, fiction series that would be interesting to a teenager, but would also maybe have some, you know, good themes in it, some good family values and, and faith, you know, what would such a book look like? And so my son and I, uh, along with a little bit of my wife, too, uh, were really just brainstorming this idea as I was traveling to my next duty assignment. And then when I got to my next duty assignment, I, I kind of suddenly got inspired and just, you know, was writing early in the mornings for several hours for a few months. And, and that was the first draft of what uh, eventually became Shadow in the Dark, uh, book one in the Harwood Mysteries. So what are we looking at here? Maybe about uh, 15 years of, of, of work to bring it to where it is now? Yes, I, I've gone through many versions of this book. And um, like many of your readers, I'm sure, you know, uh, you know, we've all you know, wanted to write throughout our lives. And, you know, you, you get better with practice. And uh, right around the time that I got really serious about writing this book, I joined the Catholic Writers Guild and uh, was exposed to a lot of other Catholic writers who I didn't even know existed out there. Um, and they were very, uh, very competent in their craft. And uh, through my interactions with them, I was able to continue to develop the book. And, uh, and eventually, uh, you know, God sort of landed a contract with Loyola Press into my lap. And then Loyola hired some great editors to work with me. And uh, over the course of, I would say, the last three or four years, we really got the uh, the books into uh, a final form that I am really proud of and and very uh, very happy with. Well, I, I want to make sure that just the listeners uh, hear that you were dedicated to this story for uh, about fifteen years, and that it's a testament to your dedication and really wanting to bring this uh, this story out to the world. Uh, so, listeners, if any any of you out there are obviously considering writing, stick with it. Uh, I think that's the short synopsis here, and maybe we'll try and uh, dig a little bit more into uh, Tony's writing background uh, later on. But I want to get into the stories. Uh, you already nodded to the first book and the series, The Harwood Mysteries. And I'm going to let you give some more uh, kind of information here. But basically, we have a series of books that are set in uh, England in the past, I believe a 12th century England. And we have a young man who has encountered a lot of hardships in his very young life. Uh, he's about 11 when it starts. And uh, you kind of follow him through his journey of life, trying to figure out who he is. Uh, there's faith elements, there's adventure elements, there's a lot going on here. So with that sort of intro, can you sort of uh, give a little bit more breath to the story? Of course, with not giving away too much to the listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, the Harwood Mysteries are named after the Abbey, Harwood Abbey, where this uh, boy, Zan, winds up and um, in the first book, Shadow in the Dark. And it's got, uh, currently there are three books. The third book uh, is coming out in July 2021. But Shadow in the Dark was book one, uh, The Haunted Cathedral was book two, The Fire of Eden is book three, and actually I'm finishing up book four, um, actually as we speak, before this interview I was uh, working on it. But uh, So it's a series from Loyola Press, it's 12th century England, and it starts off with this boy Zan, who uh, is in this village, uh, and his uh, 
his village gets attacked by bandits and he winds up losing his memory and his family. And he, he winds up at this Benedictine Abbey, essentially being raised by the monks there for a while. And, uh, and he meets uh, his best friend, uh, Lucy, uh, our main girl character in the series. And the two of them, uh, over the course of these books, wind up solving several pretty spooky mysteries. You know, uh, the first book, Shadow in the Dark, uh, as its name implies, uh, deals with the shadowy figure that is roaming the abbey grounds at night. And the, uh, the kids at the abbey are um, convinced that this is, in fact, uh, the Grim Reaper coming to take their souls, the Angel of Death. And uh, in the second book, The Haunted Cathedral, Zan and Lucy have to uh, determine if this cathedral in Lincoln, England, is actually haunted by the ghost of a little girl. Uh, and then the third book, The Fire of Eden, is a kind of a jewel theft uh, story where Zan has to figure out who stole this uh, priceless ruby on the night before the ordination of one of the monks. So, so let me let me get this clarified for the listeners right right now. Is this a fantasy series? It is not. It is historical fiction. And uh, Loyola Press has actually done a nice job uh, in the books explaining to the readers, you know, what, what does it mean to read historical fiction? Um, these are books that are set uh, partly in historical places, but partly in fictional places, uh, you know, in medieval England. Um, but what I try to convey in the books is sort of what life would have been like for a peasant boy and, and other people, girls and monks, uh, at this time in the Middle Ages, and I try to, you know, bring it as as close to what I would imagine that life was like. Um, you know, they learn uh, about monasticism. They learn about the feudal system uh, that was uh, in Europe. They see the uh, relationship between King Henry and the Church, and uh, and just so many other details. And 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 then there are some historical events that are, uh, you know, that occur in the books, but. Uh, you know, they're more set in sort of a historical setting. Okay, so here's here here's my question. Now, uh, for the listeners, I read book one. Actually, I read that in two days. And it's not because it's a short book. Uh, it's just because I was really uh, captivated and enjoyed the book so much. Uh, I read the second book also. And I've started the, the third, but have not gotten too far into that one. But basically, I've torn to the first one and got the second one. And I'm not sure, actually, if I've read a historical fiction before. Maybe I've watched some historical fiction-based movies. But uh, a book I'm not so familiar with. I've read my share of nonfiction. I mean, of uh, I've read my share of fiction books, uh, fantasy, sci-fi, apocalyptic you know, uh, and that seems to really be what uh, is is really sort of inundating the the fiction life, uh, especially for uh, teenagers, young adults. Got a lot of this fantasy, paranormal, futuristic. Why historical fiction for your story? Well, partly because, well, we were a homeschooling family. So, of course, as, as those homeschoolers in your audience know, you always try to take pretty much everything in life and turn it into a learning experience when right. you're a homeschooler. Right. But uh, so that was part of it. But I, I, I really love history. And I, 
I don't know why. I mean, I'm Italian. I don't know why I love English history, but for some reason, I, I love English history, and it's 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 fascinating. Partly, it's because I'm a lawyer, and in law school, we learn all about the English common law and the history of our own laws, which really go all the way back to the Middle Ages, just a few years after Zan with the Magna Carta. And so, you know, I definitely have a connection to English history. Uh, in fact, in 2015, I, I took a trip pretty much on my own and, and traipsed around the UK for a few weeks um, to try to do some more research and, and just kind of really get the vibe of, uh, of England so I could try to bring some of that to the books. But so, so I like in English history. It's an interesting time. But there's also, I mean, it's the Middle Ages. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on there. There's knights and bandits and, you know, there's monks and people thought there were dragons still. And, you know, uh, I mean, so even though it's not fantasy, you know, in that setting, you can still concoct some pretty interesting spooky stories, you know, but still set them in a historical place. Well, I can definitely attest to that from reading the first two books. I mean, you definitely... You give a great sense of uh, mystery. There's a lot of, of questions that are happening, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, who's responsible, what's going to happen. And, you know, uh, from the standpoint of the main protagonist, Zan, you, you give this young boy uh, a lot of strength, a lot of courage, especially in the first book, because as you uh, noted, he's lost his, he's lost his memory and he's trying so hard to find his way, and the monks are trying to help him, uh, and he's encountering his day-to-day -day sort of life. Uh, but you give this young lad so much uh, courage and sort of tenacity to want to try to do what's right, to figure out what's going on. And it feels really sort of, uh, that's an appealing character. You, you know, you would sort of think most sort of young 11-year-olds might really kind of be afraid of the dark, as it were. And it's not that Zan isn't afraid, but it's, he's sort of able to overcome his, uh, his, his, uh, his trials and his difficulties. Yeah, and he's not that different than, uh, you know, most teenagers, I think, that we might have in our lives, you know, in our families. Uh, and, and I wanted him to not be all that different, but he does. He does have courage. But he also has to face his fears, and he's got several, you know, pretty glaring character flaws that get brought out over the course of the books, too. I mean, he's a, like any of us, you know, he's a flawed person um, who, you know, has a good heart and wants to do good, but also struggles with various things. And, and as you pointed out, he's had a rough go of things. He has these bandits that, you know, he really doesn't care for very much for good reason, and, and he has a hard time, uh, especially in book two, which is really about forgiveness. You know, he has a hard time coping with, you know, how can you forgive somebody who did such horrible things to you? And, uh, you know, despite the monks trying to talk about, you know, Jesus forgiveness and, you know, turning the other cheek and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, he, he doesn't think that makes much sense to him. And, you know, but at, at his core, though, he's a good kid. You know, as, as so many of uh, the teenagers that we know really are. Uh, and he's just trying to find his way. And that's really what the books are about. In some way, they're really just about how him and Lucy, his his friend, uh, you know, the other main character, they're really just trying to find out, you know, what does God want for my life, you know, while they're going through sort of all these kind of spooky adventures. 
And, you know, that's one of the things I really enjoyed about the books that I've read so far in the series. It's not just, it, well, it's, it's not a lot of things uh, compared to what uh, the rest of the secular world has sort of created as entertainment, whether it be books or movies or shows. You know, it's not just a kind of nice and tidy and cleaned up sort of story where, you know, it's all just sort of sunshine and happy. And even from a Christian perspective, you you don't even make that completely easy. You don't make that sort of a fluffy uh, sort of like, yeah, it's all easy. It's all about Jesus and let's just love Jesus and it's all okay. And it's a great end. You know, everyone lives uh, happily ever after. You, you really uh, introduce a lot of uh, questions, especially from the character of Zan, from his standpoint, and I think a lot of young people would be in Zan's place, questions of, you know, trying to find out their real identity, you know, who who, who am I? And then you bring in the faith aspect, well, who is God to me? Uh, how can I do this? How can I forgive? Why isn't God helping me? Why am I suffering? Why are all these bad things happening? And you even leave at the end of, of the first book, you know, Zan is not, you know, in a TV show, as an example, you kind of tie everything up uh, in about 30 minutes and everything. Oh, well, there was a problem. Now there's resolution. Let's move on to the next episode. You sort of leave Zan open for more development. Like it's not the end of the road for him at book one and everything's all clean and there's no issues. You really leave him still sort of looking and searching for a lot of inner peace, which still comes eventually in two, but then he's still got more to find out. So I, I, I want to ask, was that sort of an intentional creation for Zan to not just sort of, yep, okay, everything's done, everything's fixed, and now Zan's perfect? Absolutely. I mean, look, I've been living for 51 years, and I'm still struggling, you know, uh, so I'm sure a teenager is going to be struggling. And I remember quite well my teenage years. And you have, you know, some ups and you have some downs. And, you know, I wanted to make an authentic character, and, and, and not just him, the other characters, too. Even uh, his mentor, Brother Andrew, you know, is not a perfect person. He seems kind of perfect at first. But you learn in book three that even even Brother Andrew comes from sort of a dysfunctional family situation, and um, and you know I wanted I wanted the the story to be authentic and real, not you know some sugar coated candy. And and let's face it, Jesus told us we were going to you know have to carry our cross, and so Christianity isn't all about everything being hunky dory all the time. It's about suffering and. You know, we're all going to suffer in this life. And how do we deal with it? The only you know, thing Christianity does, it, it gives us that knowledge that God is with us through it all. And he's going to bring good out of it somehow. And and that's what Zan is experiencing as he goes through his life. Right, right. Well, again, I, I, think, I think you tell a great story with Zan and you do bring in sort of the, the carrying of the cross, as you said. Uh, and even, uh, again... To, to wrap it into a young person such as Zan when it would have said, well, you know, it's a, he's a child. Let's just, let's make it easy for him. And when we write the story about an adult or the adult characters can carry the crosses, but Zan's going to have an easy go of it. No, no, you, you went ahead and you chose to make sure that the, list, the, the readers, that the readers would know, hey, young people as much as adults are searching 
looking, struggling, suffering, and they are trying to find their way to God as much as anyone else. So I really appreciate that aspect of, of the story. Now, I, I, I want to, we've been talking about how Zan, who's a young boy, we're talking about how he is being raised uh, at an abbey, monks. There's a lot of male characters, and you've mentioned it, Lucy, but I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit uh, about the fact that it's not just a book for boys or young guys, right? No, definitely not. And in fact, Loyola Press made it clear that the, the series needs to be a series that's going to appeal to girl readers and boy readers. Um, and in fact, girls we know tend to be more voracious readers than boys in a lot of places. And I so, agree. My, 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 <laughs> my wife is the voracious reader in the house. So yes, sir, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we have some great female characters throughout the series. Now, Lucy is about Zan's age. She's his best friend. And she's a very holy girl. I mean, Lucy has a lot of great qualities. In some ways, she's Zan's conscience. Um, she's a, definitely a strong female character and a very good, you know, good-hearted female character. Um, but, you know, uh, but I mean, Zan is obviously the, the main character. I've, what I decided to do with Lucy is I've actually, I'm releasing a series of Lucy short stories. The first one just came out actually uh, this week, Lucy and the Deadly Rule, where, you know, um, readers can get to know Lucy sort of apart from apart from Zan, and, and actually see the world through her eyes. Because most of the, you know, the, the Harwood mysteries are really through Zan's eyes, um, you know, and so you see Lucy through his eyes. So I wanted to give our readers a chance to see Lucy through her own eyes also. And um, and so there's some great some great uh, girl characters. Lucy in book one uh, stays throughout the series. Uh, Christina he meets in book two. She's a, a lot more of a sort of a worldly girl, Um and uh, and then Sister Regina, one of the nuns at the Abbey, really is a mother figure to Zan, and she uh, she's just wonderful, and um, definitely you know gives the kind of advice that you'd want a mother to give to uh, you know to a young boy. And and you know again it uh, you know you you said that Loyola sort of pressed you to make sure that the book would be appealing to uh, boys and girls. And again, it would have been easy just to sort of say, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw in some girl characters and, you know, that'll make the publisher happy. But no, you, you really gave some, some depth, uh, to the characters, especially I think within, uh, Lucy and Christina, uh, you know, saying Lucy's really the kind of a, a holy girl. Christina's more worldly, but they, you know, they, they have their own, again, you sort of introduce the the flaws of the brokenness that they each have, uh, how that sort of intertwines with Zan and his own conscience and how he is sort of struggles in the relationship and the friendship with both of them. Uh, so it, it's not just something for the sake of, like you really do create these, uh, these girl characters and, you know, these female characters also with sister Regina to really have a role in the development of the story as well as, Zan's own life. Definitely. And, and, you know, we've talked a lot about the seriousness and the suffering and all that. There's actually, I, I tried to also make sure there was enough lightness and levity in the series also. And oh, sure. Um, yep. There, yep. there are some characters that do that. Christina to me is one of those characters because Zan just, you know, he seems so taken by her that he can barely, 
you know, get get his uh, words out straight <laughs> when he's around her. Right. And, uh, and and then in book three, uh, there's actually kind of a quirky cast of suspicious characters who are all potential thieves who uh, stole the, uh, the 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 fire of Eden, this jewel that gets stolen. And and so they're they're definitely in between sort of all this seriousness and that kind of thing. I I don't want the readers to get the impression that these books are so heavy. Oh, right, right. That you know that they're just going to be all seriousness. Yes, they're spooky. They're suspenseful. There's real life and real suffering, but there's also real hope. There's real joy. There's real, you know, um, you know, laughter with the characters and some of the scenes that are, you know, meant to be sort of some of that comic relief in between, uh, some of the seriousness. And, and, and also another section that I think is important, uh, that is important to note, and you can expand upon it if, if you want is, you know, we're, talking about how Zan is being sort of raised at the Abbey and there's a bunch of monks. And of course he meets Lucy who's uh, with, with the nuns, but there's also a, a group of boys that more or less are orphans that reside at the, uh, reside at the Abbey. And Zan has a fair amount of interactions with them, which really sort of brings Zan, you know, he, he it makes Zan more sort of believable because, yes, he does encounter a lot uh, with, uh, with adult characters throughout the series, but his sort of interactions that happen off and on with the boys at the monastery, you know, it really makes him a really believable boy. Yeah, you know, and his experience at the Abbey with these orphans, in my mind, is a lot like our teenagers' experience in their middle schools and high schools. You know, there's always that kid who's like a bully, and there's the shy one, and there's the, you know, just the good, good-hearted little one. And you know, I mean, you you've got all of these kinds of people that we've all encountered, you know, as we're growing up and in our schools. And uh, and and so Zan sort of is encountering the same thing. And in that way, I really was hoping that the you know, although this takes place, you know, like a thousand years ago, um, it's still sort of a current series. I was hoping uh, that's what I was shooting for, uh, because kids recognize. Yeah, I mean, I get bullies at school too, and and I've got really good kids, but they're you know they're afraid to stand up for themselves, and you know here's uh, you know all of these kinds of teenage problems that come up, and yeah, they're they're kind of different problems today, but. At the core, they're also the same problems that our teens are dealing with. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Zan and his friends have to deal with those same issues. Now, let, let's talk a little bit here as we near the end. Let's talk about the the book itself, not so much the story. Uh, so you, you explained why you chose historical fiction. You talked about uh, a little bit about Loyola Press really helping to sort of bring that out in the book. The book is not just comprised of the story, which which would have made perfect sense to me or to, I think, any other reader. You open it, you see your table of contents, you start chapter one, you get to the end, and that's it. That's, that's, that's over. But there's a lot more packed into these books, and more so much so that there's actually some something extra that Loyola's helping with the book uh, to make it not just a read at home type of story. So can you first talk to me about what else is inside of the books and then what Loyola is helping to do with the books to sort of cover greater ground? Yeah, these are books because they're historical fiction and Loyola press, if you don't know, has a lot of curriculum 
materials that um, they already market to schools and to, uh, you know, CCD classes and this kind of thing. And so they already are in the business of sort of putting out school-related educational uh, products. And so this book really, uh, this whole series fits well into a curriculum dealing with the Middle Ages, dealing with the Crusades, feudalism, whatever, you know, monasticism in, uh, in the Middle Ages, um, which are all topics that our kids have to learn about in school. And so what, uh, what we did is, in, in, in between the covers of the books, there is, uh, of course, the section on, you know, how do you read historical fiction? I've talked about that. There is a historical section that I wrote um, after each story, which sort of, you know, after the readers have already sort of seen the, the fiction part of it, I sort of show what's, you know, what was really uh, the history that this was based on or the historical situations that this was based on. There's a glossary of uh, terms. And then Loyola has developed curriculum materials for teachers, for homeschool groups, for book clubs, um, so that we could use this as like a supplemental reading. I remember when I was in high school, my English literature class had us read The Hobbit as sort of a supplemental book. Um, you know, and, and that's how I sort of envision this series being able to be used in, in, in learning for, uh, you know, especially for uh, middle schoolers, because they tend to, to hit some of that, those topics in their social studies class. So then, I'm understanding all this correctly, you could simply just buy the series uh, for personal enjoyment and read it, have some extra information from your explanations of you know, how to read historical fiction, what actually took place that happened in history, the glossary, have, you know, have a little bit of extra learning attached to it. Or you could take the series and plug it into a teaching curriculum, whether that's potentially at a private school or uh, as a homeschool curriculum, and sort of help spread out some teachings potentially on, you know, social studies and English history or uh, the, the, the system that exist, uh, existed for the people. Uh, so it, it's a great balance, really, for a fiction story to sort of do that. Uh, I think most times, you know, if you read a book in English class in middle school or high school, you just read it. There's no extra sort of attached curriculum. And then the teacher just sort of says, hey, write a paper about it. And you're sort of done with it. But uh, I, uh, I appreciate that the book can sort of grow from a simple book for entertainment to actually helping to blend out to an entire curriculum for a particular grade level. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a pretty good run for just a single book. Yeah. And of course it's, uh, it's, Hopefully, uh, right now it's four books, uh, and hopefully a few more coming after that. But, uh, but yeah, that's exactly what I was shooting for, you know. I mean, and like you said, you could just pick up the series and read it like Harry Potter or uh, Rick Reardon's Percy Jackson books and just enjoy the stories for what they are because they are spooky, suspenseful adventure stories. Um, or, like you said, and, and as a homeschooler, this is what we did when we first started homeschooling, right? Yeah. You know, you start developing your own curriculum. You look for other books that are out there that the kids could read, but you want it to be something the kids will enjoy. Otherwise, they're going to complain. <laughs> and, and that's kind of what I was going for, especially at the time when I started writing this was, you know, I was writing the book that I wish was there when I was trying to teach my kids in middle school as a homeschooler. I mean, it's kind of the series that I was writing, you know, that, uh, 
you know, would do all of those things. And that's probably why it took 15 years and, and a lot of help from Loyola and others to, to, I think, finally, I think, hit the right balance. Well, I, I, I think it worked. And I think your efforts and your patience have, have paid off with this book. And so much so that I want to make this sort of uh, appeal to, to the listeners. Now, uh, you heard that Tony said in the beginning, as he was talking about how he came into writing, how he joined the Catholic Writers Guild. Now, so you have a Catholic author who has joined the Catholic Writers Guild, and this book itself has, or at least uh, I believe the first one in the series, is an award-winning book. So uh, wh- which awards has it won, Tony? I have been so uh, so thrilled and humbled by the reception of Shadow in the Dark. Now, the other books haven't yet had a chance to be evaluated in, in uh, awards, but Shadow was the first one that came out. We right now are, are four awards and counting. There's still a few more to come out, but it's won uh, the Moonbeam Children's Book Awards. It won the Independent Publishers Book Awards, the Association of Catholic Publishers uh, Excellence in Publishing Award, and the um, Illumination Awards. And some of those are secular, some are Christian, some are Catholic. So it's kind of covered all grounds. And uh, it's won a few gold medals, some bronze medals. I've just been so thrilled. You know, every author wonders, like, is what I wrote any good? You know, and getting published is one thing. But when you get that affirmation from, you know, critics and, and those who are judging, you realize, you know, wow, this actually, is, it's, it's pretty good. And, I, and, I, and it makes me feel good. Okay. So you heard the list of awards that this book has gotten and potentially more to come. And that's only on the first book. So my appeal to the listeners is this is not just a book that was written and that exists out there in in the world and that I'm telling you I read and it's good. This book has won awards. And if you are serious or concerned about what kind of book should your young person be reading, whether it's your children or nieces or nephews or grandchildren, here's a book that has won awards. It is a Catholic young adult book, Catholic teen book. It has sort of the stamps of approval that maybe you would have wanted to see on a book uh, for, for your young person. So be assured that this book, this series, is, is on the right path. It's good literature. It's good material. It's entertaining. You, your child can learn something from the book. It covers all of the bases. So please, if you're interested, I encourage you to go find, this, find the books, find the stories. And, and, and where can they go to find the books, Tony? Yeah, and, and um, you can go to several places. Of course, you can go to Loyola Press's website. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, you can check out my website, antonycolank.com or theharwoodmysteries.com. Um, or you could go to your Catholic bookstore nearby and ask them to stock it if they don't already stock it and, and give your support uh, to the Catholic bookstores. But, you know, I wanted to add one thing, uh, hearing what you just said, um, most of your listeners, I'm assuming, are not teenagers or middle schoolers. Sure, and they're probably sure. parents and grandparents. And they are probably looking for books to buy for gifts and you know, never know what to buy for kids. Um, not only is my series, I think, really good for this, but 
there is a website called catholicteenbooks.com, um, which is, there's about 16 of us authors. My series is, is one of the, um, you know, uh, books on there. But there is actually a lot more good Catholic uh, literature out there for our teenagers than we ever realized, at least than I ever realized when I started writing. And I think there's been almost a, a blossoming of, of Catholic, you know, YA fiction in this last decade since I've been involved with it. And so I would encourage uh, your listeners to also go out and check out, you know, catholicteambooks.com and see what other great books there are for teens out there. On that note, if this is your first time tuning in, uh, look back uh, just a few episodes. I uh, interviewed one of the author, one of the other authors from catholicteambooks.com, T.M. Gawet, wonderful, wonderful uh, person, great writer. And she has a lot more kind of present day uh, young adult fiction, uh, but uh, I, I'm I'm advocating for this website. Go to CatholicTeamBooks.com if you're looking for maybe some other varieties, other genres, uh, some other options. Uh, if you're looking for good literature that uh, is all sort of on point and that you could you could trust what's coming out of there. So th- thanks, Tony, for that nod to Catholic Teen Books. Uh, as we wrap up here, uh, Tony, I, I'm. I'm always interested in people uh, such as writers or their other creative types who have sort of they've sort of found their way uh, to sort of I don't want to say the end of the road, but you you found your way to where you have gotten your writing published. And I think there's other people out there who who want to write. There's people out there who are interested, or there's people who have written something, but they're 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 afraid. They're worried about what might happen. They're they, they, they care about their story. They, they don't want to let it go, but they'd love to sort of get published. You know, what's your words of encouragement or something that you can offer being someone who's wanted to write most of your life, spent 15 years working on a particular series. Now you're sort of seeing the fruits of your labor. What advice could you share to the listeners about how to go about uh, pursuing writing. Thank you for that. Yeah, you know, first of all, like you said earlier, don't don't give up. This is a lifelong journey, being a writer. And you know, the, the stuff you write when you start, yeah, you know, you're gonna have fun with it, but it's probably not going to be the best thing in the world. You know, it's gonna take time to sort of, you know, hone your skills. And so, my second piece of advice is find yourself a writers group, either online or in your local area. Um, obviously, the Catholic Writers Guild is both a national and local um, organization, but there's Christian writers associations, there's secular ones in every genre. You've got to connect with other writers. There's a lot of material out there, a lot of instruction on how to be a good writer, how to write fiction. Um, and it's and it's that interaction and networking that will help you to succeed. For me, that's what made the difference when I finally started really moving in those circles and really, you know, trying to learn the art of writing a fiction novel. And it took me a long time. And I was already what I thought to be a good writer. I was a lawyer. I'm a law professor. Like, you'd think I'd be able to write. But, you know, it took me a long time to really get the hang of writing a novel. And so don't give up. Interact with others. Be encouraged. That's why, the you know, Going to a Christian or a Catholic group is great because you can encourage each other to stay the course. 
and uh, and and just offer it up to God. I mean, if God wants you to be a success, uh, you'll be a success. And if not, you'll have a good time in the process. Either way. Right. Right. God. Uh, God will be our constant companion on whatever it is that we're doing. Well. Uh, Tony, I, I uh, really have enjoyed the conversation. I'm hoping that the the listeners uh, will be interested enough to go pick up uh, one of your books. Uh, and uh, I want to reemphasize what Tony said. Yeah, go if you have a local Catholic uh, bookstore, a uh, little Catholic shop, go in, support them. You know, help help them to stay afloat. I'm sure that they would appreciate it. And there's also there's other if you've never been to a a Catholic shop, you know, there's a there's a lot more there than what you might think. Um, and that's been my experience at, at least. So I encourage you to go if you've never been, uh, and if they don't have it, like Tony said, ask if they'll pick up the book and, you know, stock it. Uh, so, uh, try that option if it's an option for you. Uh, but, uh, Tony, thanks so much for taking some time to, to write the series, to, to stick it out, to create this uh, series. Uh, and so thank you for that, but also, uh, thank you just for taking some time to, today to talk uh, about the series and uh, giving us a little bit more insight into uh, what to look forward to in the book and the books to come. Yeah, I really appreciate um, you have me on the show and, and I'd be glad to come back um, sometime in the future and talk some more because, um, you know, I think it's it's important both for me and for uh, for your listeners to to be exposed to these kinds of things. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, I'd love to Pick, pick up with you again and see where we're at within the Harwood Mysteries down the road. See uh, see where the characters go. See what new things maybe you're up to. So, uh, yeah, we will definitely keep in touch. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, we've been talking with Anthony Barone Kolink, an author, an award-winning author, mind you. I will make sure I note that. Uh, please uh, look up the Harwood Mysteries. And again, as he noted, book three is coming out here in July. So that'll be coming out here real soon. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and uh, just in general, ladies and gentlemen, try to support Catholic authors. They're, they're doing good work uh, to create good uh, literature for you to enjoy and for your young people to enjoy. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you will tune in again to the table of content. And until that time, be good, stay safe, peace. Peace.